Hey, dear listeners, today's guest is the very talented and very wise Leslie Bibb, who you know from countless movies and TV shows, including Jupiter's Legacy, now on Netflix. Leslie and I had a really heartfelt talk about first loves, weddings, family, and letting go of perfection. I really loved hearing her describe the feelings she has for Sam Rockwell, her partner of 14 years. I just admire Leslie so much. Later in the episode, April and I talk with a listener who is concerned that her new baby might be wrecking her marriage. But first, Leslie Bibb. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. So I was just talking about you with my fiance, who you've worked with a few times, and he puts you in his top 10 favorite actors to work with. Henry Winkler is on the list, so is Sam. I think I'm in there too. <laughs> he said Zookeeper was really complicated with a, like a ton of nights, and you were always in a good mood no matter how late it was. And I think he described you as always having really positive energy. And I think I realize that that's my impression of you too. I think that's such a nice thing. I'm so shitty to myself, I think. I like come home from a night out and I'll be like, oh, why did you say that? Oh, you know, I'm always calling people and being like, oh, I hope I didn't hurt your feelings or if I did something. I'm just um, aware of that. So it makes me feel very grateful that you would even think that of me. That's a really nice thing. And tell Michael... I'm happy to be in that list for him. That's really nice. I should also tell you, my son has watched Zookeeper a hundred times. You know what? I really love that movie. I mean, I know people are like, oh, talking animals. And that movie, I think, should have done better. They were meant to put it out in October. And then they did one of those screenings and it tested through the roof. And I remember like Kevin James and Todd Garner were like, it's testing like higher than E.T. Like it was like something crazy. And didn't it do really well? I thought it was a huge hit. It did okay. But instead of keeping it in October, they sandwiched it in the middle of the summer against two little movies called Harry Potter (laughs) and Transformers. (laughs) So like, you don't have a fighting chance. So I think if that movie had come out in October, it would have been like even bigger. But like when you have like that sort of Harry Potter was like a juggernaut or something, you know, and that Transformers stuff, people go apeshit for. But I still watch that movie and I don't know what critics say. I try not to read anything critics write, you know, because it's just so scary to me. It lodges in your brain. Like eventually I'm hoping I will get euphoric dementia. Have you heard about euphoric dementia? No. What is it? Can I get it right now? Well, I think from my understanding, (laughs) I had a distant relative who had it and she was like 98 and she was just happy to see everybody all the time. And then my grandma had regular old dementia where she was just steeped in bitter memories. She was always talking about how her brother burnt down the barn. (laughs) And you don't trust everybody. It's like, you're trying to steal my money. Totally. Yeah. No, I want to be the golden retriever puppy dementia. That's what I want. Like, (laughs) I mean, that's a whole other discussion of like aging, which is really fascinating, which I find on my mind so much lately. Me too, right? I feel like you and I have only from hanging out at Jeremy Renner's house 
Renner's like a brother to me. And I remember Christopher and Renner just talking about all three of you so wonderfully. Oh, that's really nice. And I was such a huge fan of yours. I remember just like sitting at the bar with you and just like, I love you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to sort of fangirl like, because I'm sure we go up for the same jobs. I mean, and you just sometimes you lose a job to somebody and you're like, good. Oh, I think I would do it better. Whenever I would lose a job to you, I'd be like, well, you couldn't do that one better. Like, it's just like, you're so good. Oh, and so funny and so real. Also, even if you're doing something that's like the boldest choice, it's still always really rooted. In fear. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. From me, it looks fearless and it looks honest, which sometimes, you know, when you're making a bold choice, especially in comedy, it can seem like a bit. And yours always felt real and rooted and like feet on the ground. I really mean that. Thank you, Leslie. That means a lot to me. I remember reading something about you because didn't you produce House Bunny? Yeah. And I remember reading about that. And I remember thinking, I was like, but that is a boss ass move. And it really inspired me to be like, I am going to fuck it. That's like, thanks. I'm sure there's other actresses who were like, oh yeah, that's how you become a boss. That's how like. But Leslie, it truly felt out of necessity. You know, there was that time in Hollywood between like the writer's strike being suddenly not eligible for like teen stuff and also that genre sort of waning where I was like, oh my God, my plan B is I really haven't been thinking about it lately. (laughs) But that hustle is so cool. Like I'm doing all this press for this TV show I have out right now called Jupiter's Legacy and I play like a superhero and stuff. And people were like asking questions about it. And I'm like, I don't know, we shot it almost two years ago. So like it's so in the rear view. And so now I'm here and like working with Melissa and Ben and like so awesome to be around the two of them and how collaborative they are. And just to watch her especially, like she is so dynamic and so facile and funny and kind. And I love like the formula they have for making movies. It's like, it really inspires me. But I remember I was like nervous when I met you. I was like, I just was such a fan of yours. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. Oh, thank you. I just really was a fan of yours. And I think you make smart choices and bold choices. And you were doing boss ass moves before, like other people were making boss ass moves. And they may have been out of necessity and they may have been out of a writer's strike, but you were doing them and you were really talented. And so I remember being very like inspired by you. I don't know if I would have had my shit together that if I had met you in my late 20s or in my 30s, if I would have the wherewithal to be able to say that to you in person, because A, I'd be like, oh, she's going to think you're a weirdo. Or would I be vulnerable enough to say like that to you? But I'm grateful I finally feel confident enough to say that to you now because it's something I have felt about you my whole career. Leslie, God, thank you. That It's true. I thank you for that. And you're a nice person. So are you. And after that party, I wanted to be your best friend. My agent always says this thing, like your life can change with a phone call. Like he was telling me this, like when I was feeling downtrodden about something and I was like, I'm never going to work again. And he's like, don't worry, Bibi, your life can change with a phone call. And it does. It's like that fine line. I always feel like as actors, we want desperately to work 
and be going through something and learning something. And, you know, we're trying to do something that's so unnatural, like rip all the scabs off, have somebody see it and then put it out to the world so the world can judge the shit out of you. But what you really hope is that it make people laugh or cry or feel something or connect with something. And then you do this job, you form these great connections, and then we never see those people again. I never really had friends that were actresses. And then I worked on the show Popular and Carly Pope, who played my sister on that show, was so wonderful to me. And we were so tight and we're still tight. Like she's family for me. And then my friend Piper Parabo, who's like, totally we go up for the same parts. And she bought me a, a birthday present. And she's like, I'm going to buy Bibby these sunglasses. And she goes, I don't know. I just feel like I'm not sure. And her husband was like, just put them on your face. You guys look exactly like <laughs> But like being friends with her feels like the most healing thing about being friends with an actor and that there's enough for everybody. But I have like massive abandonment issues. So I'm like constantly, I'm just being like reminded of the same issues I have of like connect with people, have them taken away. Like I feel like in like some weird psychological way, I'm trying to fix something. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And Leslie, now I want to ask you something though. Is this because of your dad passing? Of course it is. It's like my dad passing when I was three A lot of things happened that were really intense around him passing. And I think my mother made a choice to do something that sort of ended up protecting me, but not really protecting my three other sisters. I think she made my three older sisters feel a bit forgotten and like just lost and exposed and vulnerable and possibly unprotected. And then with me, She was doing the best she could. So I'm not angry with her about this this choice. But when that thing that she did that protected me, I think in a way robbed me of getting to go through a bunch of stuff. And so after my father passed away, I don't have a lot of memories. So I can remember stuff before I was three, and then I have like nothing. And then all of my childhood is like very fragmented. Like people are like, I remember this and I remember that. And so like, I almost don't know if like the memories I do have are just like co-opted from stories that I've heard so much over time. And so I've made them like, oh, I remember that. So like, I don't even know if that is true or not. But I think when I started going to therapy, because I used to be like, oh, my childhood was amazing. And it was this and it was that and it was that. And really when I started to talk about it, I think it was like very lonely. You know, anytime I think you lose a parent, it creates this thing, you know, and especially for me, it was like you lose a male figure, though it made me very resourceful. I just remember thinking, just knowing, not even thinking, like, I don't even know when it was like instilled in me that it doesn't matter. You can have all the plans in the world. Just make sure you have your own money. You have your own life. You are taken care of because the world has plans. Like, I just knew that you just had to be self-sufficient. And, you know, I probably did have a lot of like guard up with like men and in relationships until I started going to therapy and started working on that. And probably until Sammy, which I feel like, you know, my guards just obliterated. But I think forever, I was always scared that like they were going to die. Like I can't fathom that, but I have to keep telling myself like the other option is if you sort of keep yourself like this, from truly having a deep love, then that's not really a life lived, right? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right? How old were you when you first felt like you were in love? Like a real love? Like I would probably say, I mean, I was always crushing on boys. Yes. Like starry-eyed over somebody. My mom hated it, which probably made it worse. <laughs> I was just drawn to like drama and romance and... Right? Yeah, like Sweet Valley High. <laughs> <laughs> but I would probably say 16. And that was my first boyfriend and I, you know, that was like... How did it end? Who broke whose heart? He broke mine. He totally broke it. We went to University of Washington together, and he joined a fraternity, and I was like a dorm nerd and just kind of discovering who I was. And he had been treating me pretty poorly for a while, but I didn't know any better. It was my first relationship. And he just stopped calling me. And I was so embarrassed. Like, this is my year-and-a-half-long boyfriend, and I'm going over to his fraternity trying to, like, find out where he is and why he's ignoring me. And I knew where his classes were. So I, like, accidentally bumped into him outside of one of his classes. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And he said, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to tell you uh, I just want to see other people. And I was like, this is the most meaningless, unfulfilling, in all ways, kind of breakup of this person that I had been, like, so intimate with for a long time. So I was devastated. When I hear that story, I always think for mothers, it would be so great to teach boys how to break up with girls. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I think like probably he just didn't know, right? Like I didn't know how to, like I do the opposite. I just stay in something way too long because I got to the point where I'd rather someone break up with me. I'd be like, no, I'll just stay. I think my first like love was really 19 and he broke my heart. But also too, like I wasn't my best self. And like, we just, you know, with like, he would break up with me and then we'd still see each other. And then it was just like tragic. It's that long breakup that happens so frequently. Yeah. And so dumb. But wait, so Leslie, how did you get over it? I don't know. Time, I guess. And you know what I used to do? I would leave. Like I was like, I'm moving. I'm going to move somewhere else. Or I met another person. Like now when I think back, I would never have tolerated certain things. And I'm sure I did stuff to him that was like terrible. And I think it was so painful to be left. That sort of superseded everything. I was married for a year and I knew we weren't right for each other. And I knew we wanted fundamental different things. And I knew I didn't make him happy and I knew he didn't make me happy, but I didn't know how to walk away. I wish I, I knew and I'm sure he would have appreciated it. And I just remember like the night before we got married, he was like, this is wrong. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and then I would think back to that and I was like, God, why was it easier to get married and get divorced than just walk down and say, guys, this is a huge mistake. 
I've been married twice. And especially with the first one, I was I was young. And I remember like the judge at Beverly Hills Courthouse mumbling something like, all right, I give that three years. <gasps> Incredible. But I remember feeling really angry, like, what? Like childish, like, I'll show you. Yeah. Watch this. I'm going to show that judge. Dear judge, we have now been married uh, 53 years. God. <laughs> and I've never been more miserable. <laughs> I know. It's so interesting because you hear that so often, like, I don't know. I think I just didn't know how to be by myself, you know? And I think I was a classic girl of like, I am full in with this relationship. And then I literally had like my big toe in the pool. I would never fully commit. But I think it all led me to at least getting to the moment of going to therapy and finally realizing, I remember I sat in therapy and I was like, I keep opening the same box. It's wrapped totally differently. So I think they're all different, but then it's the same thing inside. And what I realized is like, well, it's you. It's not their fault. It's your fault. What is it with you? What are you not looking at? Or what can you do differently for yourself to maybe be better in the relationship, demand a higher quality human for yourself? So I really started going to therapy. I stopped drinking for like six months, going to therapy like two to three times a week. I was like, I am going to figure this out. And it was great. And I, I was talking about somebody and I was like, I don't know. He's just not my type. It's just not my type. And she was like, what's your type? And I said, well, Holly, my type is this and this and this. And she just waited and she listened to me and I stopped and she goes, how's your type working out for you? And it wasn't. And she said, your type is how you want the world to see you. Wow. It's all it is. Look at him. What does it say about me? And I don't know why that like blew my mind. But I'd also grown up being like, you're going to be a mother. You're going to go to school, all of this stuff. But I never wanted to be a mom. That's a really scary thing to say. As a woman, like people say really mean things to me when I say that I don't want kids. Really? Oh, I, I hear women say like, well, you're not a real woman until you have a child. What? And I was like, well, I didn't tell you if maybe I couldn't have them. You don't know like if it's a choice or not. I don't want them because it's something so simple as the mother I want to be, I know I wouldn't be able to be. It makes me think about like the comparison culture and identity culture that I was worried that my identity would shift somehow in Hollywood to mom. And I would be in the not sexy, definitely older, whatever that perception is. And you have this experience where people are critiquing you for not being a mom. I love when people go, why aren't you having kids? You and Sam would have such cute kids. And I was like, well, I don't think that's the reason to have kids is that they just were cute kids. So they can aesthetically reflect you? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, you know. It's really for me, it's like, I love my career. And I think if I had a kid, I think that would have to be my career. Yes. Because that's what I craved so deeply when I was a kid. And I worry that if I did that, I might somehow resent my kid. And I just, I didn't know how to figure it out. And like, you hear like these people are like, oh, I only take a movie when he's working. And then I do that. And it's like, I don't have that luxury. It's like, you know, I've been super lucky. I... 
I work a lot and I pay my bills and I'm proud of the work I do. And I'm so grateful for that. But I, it's not like when people go, what's the next part you would like? And I'm like, right. What drew you to that script? (laughs) It was offered to me. I read Yogi Bear 3D. I thought, you know what? I, I had to. Right. But like, they're like, what do you want to do next? And I was like, it's such a funny term to be like this idea that there's so much choice. <laughs> yeah. Or that like I get to choose. It's like, you know, I'm so grateful for what has come my way. But like, that's not my reality. You know, it's possibly fear based that I would fuck up that little nugget. You're juggling it both. Like, is it hard for you? Do you worry about fucking them up? Yes, but also I think you realize, actually, it is truly a very different being. Like, he has a different personality and thinks in a different way than I do. And sometimes it's, like, discouraging. It's... But that has lately been relieving some of the kind of guilt because I guess I always saw a child in my future, but it was never a goal like it was for some of my friends. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on weddings? I get super pragmatic about money. And I say this as somebody who threw a wedding. Like I got married and I'm like, oh, so much money. And how much stuff they tick on to everything. I have some friends who are getting married and they're like, we don't want to throw a wedding. And I think they're going to run off and do it, just the two of them. I think that's great. I think that's probably what we're going to do. And I really love that. And I secretly want them to do it here so I can be their one person who can witness it. But like, I love the intimacy. Now, I'm going to also contradict myself and say this. What I do like about weddings is the standing before God and your family or whoever you believe in and expressing your love and commitment. That part of a wedding, I'm really into. I understand that. What loses me is all the stress I see so many people go and all the stupid fights that happen and the ugly bridesmaid dresses. You get so sort of wrapped up. I mean, I did. I was like, "Ah, this needs to be, everything has to be perfect. But I understand wanting to stand before your friends and family and whatever higher being you worship and saying, this is my person. And it's like an ask for support from the people that you love as well. And that's beautiful. That I get. It's just like the whole, like, the business. I know. It's like I have to invite my cousin's girlfriend. They've only been dating for two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, I don't know them. So if you could have another job, if acting were illegal, what would you do? I might be a bootlegger (laughs) actor. Did you ever want to work on a cruise ship? That's a hard no. (laughs) Cruise ship? I just remembered this the other day that I really wanted to be a cruise ship, like, activities director. Director? Yeah, of course. You wanted to be Julie McCoy. I guess so. I will tell you there's a part of me, and I think I may do this in my life. Um, I would like to have a little hotel somewhere. Okay. All right. I like this. Like, I think because we stay in so many of them. And they're homes. I know. There's been like three hotels, I think, that have been so special in an undefinable way. They're gorgeous places, but they're unique. They're distinct. They are built with love. And 
there's something that feels familial, I should say, about those places. Yeah. And it's really hard to define it. Here's the thing. I know exactly what you're saying. That feeling that when you walk in, it's like I always say, it's like your cheers, like that thing that cheers has, like where everybody knows your name. And I think there's something to when people go on vacation, making your hotel experience feel familial and special. So I have all of these ideas because we've stayed in so many hotels. And I think it's something that I feel like I will do as some part of my life. I really love that. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Can you tell us the story of meeting Sam and falling for him? I went to the Chateau. I was meeting two friends, but it was like my publicist and the stylist because I was doing press that day and I was sort of doing some deep work on myself, going to therapy, trying to figure it out. And I was standing at the host station at the Chateau and this guy, Will, went like that. And I turned around and it was old Rockwell walking through. He had a coconut juice in his hand and he was like sort of disheveled and he came by and I remember we looked at each other and I didn't know who he was, but like there was something familiar and he trundled over to us and we got introduced and I was like, come have a seat with us. Come sit down with us, which is way more brazen than I usually, I get very shy usually with stuff like that, or I feel self-conscious or something. I don't know. So he sat down and he's very shy. And we just started talking and we realized that we went to the same acting school and he lived in New York. And I kept looking at him being like, ask for my number, ask for my number. (laughs) He did not ask for my number. So then I went to the bathroom and the guy said, Mr. Rockwell called down. He he was wondering if if it would be okay if I gave him your number. And I was like, yeah, 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 you can. So then the next night I had to go back, there was a party and I'd had a premiere that night. So then I was dressed up and had hair and makeup and stuff. And it was some like glamour magazine, like women in film party. So Sam was there, but he was with all of his guy friends. So I met him again and it was not vibing. I said something about not drinking and he was like, uh. and I was like, I can see your face. I just saw you roll your eyes. You know, he wanted to dance. I said, I wanted to talk. It was like, it was not vibing. And then I was like, oh, this was a disaster. And I went to leave. I remember he danced over to me, which was very cute. 
And he goes, where are you going? And I was like, oh, honey, I'm going home. And he goes, do you want to grab coffee? He goes, I don't drive, but you know, we could go somewhere around here. And I was like, I'll go to a museum with you. And he was like, oh, okay. And so we made it, we were going to go out like on a Sunday. And I didn't realize they were all calling me museum girl. Cause they were like, oh, you're going to have to work too hard. That girl's too high maintenance. <laughs> and they all kept saying something like, that's a girl you date. That's not maybe what you're looking for right now. So yeah, we went to a museum. We went to the Getty and yeah, it was kind of over. Uh, we went to dinner that night. I think we made out that night in my car. And then he went to San Francisco because he's from San Francisco. So we like sort of forced us to sort of talk on the phone. And um, yeah, just sort of all fell into place really easy and fast. But I think really like, I mean, I knew I loved him, loved him. But at like year five or six is when I really loved him. Like I jumped in the pool because I don't think I knew how to love somebody so wholeheartedly that I would risk giving so fully of myself that if something, God forbid, were to happen to him, I'm going to be left shattered and in shambles. We've been together for like almost 14 years. I love him so much. I could strangle him. I could, I literally could like cause him bodily harm sometimes. I love him so much. I know that's fucked up and people are like, but I love him. I could just squeeze him. Like I just, oh. I love him so much. He's really tremendous. Like he's so compassionate. Like that's what I love about him. Is his, he is so compassionate. So I hope I have picked up from him. Like he's definitely helped me just fucking relax a lot. I feel the same way about Michael. The exact same way. Isn't that a nice thing? Yes. <laughs> it's a relief to feel so well taken care of and loved. Yeah. Sam is, he's like the best of the best. And, you know, I run a little hot. I think like, especially when I met him, I think I was like, it's got to be perfect and it's got to be this. And I think it goes back to this idea that if it's perfect, nothing bad will happen. I think that pursuit of perfection is a handcuff for me, but it was a really hard one to unlock because it just wound me up. And it doesn't serve anything. If something's perfect, it's not going to be better or this or whatever. And you can have all of this attention to detail. And if it doesn't work out, you're like, oh, well, okay. You know, the chicken got burned and we're going to order pizza or whatever. But it was a hard thing for me of like this pursuit of doing it right or being the best or being something so that I would be loved. Are you superstitious? No. Well, kind of, yeah. The reason why I ask is because some of that line of thinking is, like, I think really superstitious people take comfort in, you know, like just the idea of if these things are done, then bad things won't happen. No, I think it's like a deep psychological thing about having it be just right so that I will be enough and that it'll be enough to get this attention or feel this or be loved by my sisters or be loved by, you know. I'm the youngest too. I mean, I just have an older brother, but having been around my family this last weekend. How was that? Good. But yesterday, my brother had some friends come over and he didn't tell me. And there was like five new people and I had a rush of anxiety. I wanted to like leave immediately. I felt not just like COVID, like, wait a minute, what are the rules again? Like, wait, uh, like, not just that stuff, but also like the slamming of like, wait a minute, I think these people will 
recognize me and I will have to engage with them with the celebrity. You know what it is. And I guess maybe for our listeners, the best way I could think about describing the feeling of being social in an environment outside of Hollywood sometimes can feel like you are a bride and it's your wedding reception and like your parents, friends, co-workers you're talking to suddenly, like that kind of engagement, if that makes any sense, sort of like elevated small talk that I wasn't ready for. I still feel like, oh my God, I don't even know how to talk to the checkout person at the grocery store. I think it's even, let's see if I can get this right. It's about a vulnerability too of like, you come with like, you're funny and you're this. And there's like the way you think people want to see you. I'm working with Melissa McCarthy right now. And somebody said, what is she like? I saw her and she wasn't, and I was like, what? She wasn't doing bits from bridesmaids? Right. Like she was just walking through an office or she was walking through to get dinner. She's not like doing stand-up. It's not her responsibility. It's exhausting. I think sometimes when recognizable people get shy and get scared, to me, I equate it to it's about a vulnerability. It's like like if we were sitting there talking and all of a sudden a bunch of people come in who you don't know and there's a fear that you have to sort of change like whatever this is right now is not going to be enough and you have to elevate to some idea of what that is and it's like a, a weird thing that you just instinctively do because people say things that just are weird also it's just a vulnerability of like sharing something with yourself that you just don't know them and you just said that you have like a small group of friends. So maybe, you know, I think you're shyer. Oh, yeah, definitely. But that's not the persona that people see. Mm -hmm. The persona of you is like every woman accessible. Everybody relates to you. Everybody is like, I'm just like her. And so then when that person comes in and you're actually quite quiet or shy or whatever, it's the opposite of what, do you know what I mean? And then of course it would feel like, you know, with your brother, it would feel incredibly vulnerable. And also like, hey, just a heads up so that I could have the decision of whether or not I want to be here outside of the COVID of it all, just about the intimacy of it all. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so I ended up kind of offending my sister-in-law, whom I adore, and I'm proud that I was able to give a really heartfelt apology to her because I I know how intense my family can be and I want her to feel like I can be a safe place if she needs it. That's really nice. And in my kind of anxiety and loading, I didn't take any of that into consideration. I know you have to go. But isn't it nice though? Like it's the thing to remember is like how far an I'm sorry goes. Not an I'm sorry, but... Just an, I'm sorry. I see you. Yeah. It's so easy to say, I'm sorry. It's so easy. It's really just, oh, I see you. I'm so sorry. I don't think people mean to hurt people as much as people get hurt. And if we just took that time, like there's so few hills to die on. Yeah. Oh, Leslie, I love you so, so much. Please give Sam my love too. I will. Bye. Bye, love. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey everyone, April Buyer is back now officially as my much needed co-host. As you know from previous episodes, April brings great advice, insight, and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, April. Hi, Anna. Hi. Hi. Emily, I was so moved by your letter. Can you explain for our listeners what's going on? So I'll just share a little bit of background. My husband and I have been together since 2014, but we've been married since 2019. And we only got married because we decided to have a family. And uh, my daughter was born in March of 2020. And since then, (laughs) it's been a little difficult to be married. I'm sure a lot of this has to do with, um, we're in New York State. New York shut down the week before my daughter was born. And so we've been both work from home and raising our daughter, uh, her daycare shut down because of COVID. And then when it reopened, we were too afraid to send her. So we don't have daycare. We have my lovely mother-in-law doing part-time. Oh my God, you are in it. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, at least it's our first, she's our first daughter. So we don't know any different, you know? (laughs) So I thought we were like doing our thing, just getting by. Um, Definitely a lot more arguments than usual. Um, But we got away for a weekend, uh, well, for one night, for our anniversary this past month. And it was amazing. It was just, it was so lovely to to have that time together. Freedom? Freedom, freedom. (laughs) No, No scheduling around any other creature in our household. We're both fully vaccinated. So we were like just happy to be around people. And it was so wonderful for me to like reconnect. And I felt like, oh, you know what? My marriage, we're strong. We're a strong partnership. And my husband, I think he panicked because we came home and it was immediately back to like the environment, the same feelings of oppression and suffocation and just being at each other's space all the time. And so the arguments kicked up again. And I'm so thankful he opened up to me and he said, you know, like, I'm afraid our daughter is the cause of our marriage issues. And I feel terrible. I feel, am I contributing? Is my daughter like secretly a marriage terrorist? And we're just like, was it awesome before? But like as married parents, is it going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? What can I do? What is the world like (laughs) for other parents? Whatever you got for me. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, I think you hear from a distance, your friends will be like, oh my God, I got to take a shower. (laughs) Like you hear it, but you don't really hear it, you know? No, not at all. (laughs) Until your identity is like spit up. It's so exhausting to, I think for me, the loss of identity and the shift of my career stuff. I felt that pressure. I felt like I wasn't doing anything right. Right. I'm the youngest in my family, and I was a pretty atrocious babysitter. (laughs) 
there were times when like I would stare at Jack for like hours and I felt this love. But then there were times where I couldn't tell if it was my own personality trying to test itself. Like, look at this foreign thing. Right. But you know how probably the experience of giving birth has dulled itself a little bit in your memory? Like when you're giving birth, you're like, I'm never doing this again. Right. (laughs) Don't forget. (laughs) And then, of course, you do. But it's like that with the babies at this age. And so in terms of your marriage and how it's going to get better, you are just in the thick of it right now. Okay. And that with Corona, like you had an especially concentrated experience, like between the ages, I think of zero to two and a half, three, maybe even to four. (laughs) long haul. Anyway, so just hang in there for four and a half more years. And then you guys can go to a hotel again. Perfect. Perfect. No, but I think there's a reason that a lot of people have affairs or get divorced because your identity has shifted to mom and what we're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing sexy anywhere. I mean, anywhere. (laughs) And so the only solution is humor, mm-hmm. you know? Trying to find the laughter. <laughs> yeah, I think that's your only solution. That's the only option, Emily. Oh my God, we just got to laugh. You're like, you're doing time. <laughs> it's a different jail that you voluntarily enter. Uh-huh. And this creature just takes everything. Totally. It's supposed to be euphoric about it every second. And that's so much. Mm-hmm. I love it that your husband was able to tell you that. Yeah, that was incredible. We're not the best at communicating right now. We haven't been the best at communicating since March. And we don't have the language as parents. And we knew in our heads everything would change. But it's like you assume getting hit by a truck is probably really painful. But you can't understand what it's like to get hit by a truck. So everything's changed. We're not even in the same library. We're so far off of the same page most of the time. So it just, I have hope because of this one weekend, but like I can see in a month from now, it's going to feel hopeless and I'm not going to remember the weekend. (laughs) I think though, as we open up, will you be able to get additional help and reprieve? I'm hoping we have family all within like a 30 mile radius of us and two of them, one's works for school. So they have summers off and the other one's retired. So we do have support. We just haven't been able to take advantage of it. So I just feel like we're just like just hanging on with this hope in mind. And I just have hope. That's all I got going. (laughs) Yeah. And truly, as your daughter gets older, it's a long, slow process, but it gets so much easier. I wasn't ever black and white on like having a baby. I was always kind of in a gray area, which is why I waited till I was 35. And I've analyzed this a lot because I have a lot of friends that don't have kids. And I have found reward in being a parent by the funny things that he says, like watching a brain just grow and an identity grow, who is completely different from me. Right. And I know that your husband will find the same thing. Like, it will become more entertaining. (laughs) Emily, when I read your letter... I was thinking, as somebody who has not experienced a lot of therapy at all, I was thinking, well, is this a scenario where April and I recommend a couple's therapist? But 
talking with you, it kind of feels like you guys just need to go to a hotel. It's possible. (laughs) We talk about going to a therapist all the time. You know, these moments of discomfort in our marriage bring up these larger fears that certainly existed before we were married, certainly existed in our partnership. And I come from a lot of divorce like both parents divorced, remarried multiple times. My husband, his parents were divorced, nasty divorce, terrible. One remarried and the other one didn't. And they're still terrible to each other. So like, so that's why you guys didn't get married. We're cool. We're not going anywhere. Why do we need like a legal institution? And everything was intentional with where our life is now. And that's another thing that I'm just kind of like grappling with. Like we chose this path and we did it with good thought and with positive feelings, understanding that it would be difficulties. And here we are. My parents have been married since they were 21. And my brother and I have both been married and divorced twice. And he's on his third marriage. And we talk about this like we're the product of a stable, loving marriage. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with us here? <laughs> but... I do hear how the mental shift from the feeling of like, I don't know, something youthful and not being married, then maybe in your relationship, how like, well, shit, we got married and we knew they'd be hard, but we didn't think like this. Right. And the stakes are high because I don't want to give my daughter what we had, you know? Yeah. We don't want to be unhappy either, you know? Yeah. It's a terrible time to gauge the future of your marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think you can tell your husband that we shouldn't be dooming ourselves because this actress said that this was like a really, (laughs) really fucking hard time. She wasn't sure she was ever going to work again because she had spit all over her. But April, what do you think? Well, I think there's so much of the pressure that's building up between the two of you. It so much has to do with the fact that you both come from such hardship in your parents' relationships and the multiple, you know, marriages on your side, Emily, that I don't think it's your daughter that is getting in the way of your marriage. I think you guys are being confronted with new tasks, a new human in your life. You know, you were together six years before she came along. And because you guys have such a hot button of divorce, I just have a feeling that the smaller things are feeling bigger because you think that means there's a potential for divorce. And then you're heightening the anger and the frustration with one another. But you guys have to realize and agree that divorce is not an option. So if you knew that divorce was not an option Mm -hmm. and you knew that you guys were going to stick together no matter what because you love one another, you would wind down these arguments faster but it's because you guys are just doing such a knee-jerk reaction of like, we're arguing, our communication isn't right. Oh my God, divorce. And so then therefore you're just pummeling each other with probably just bad words and arguments. Is that true? Yeah. And you know, you really hit it on the head and I didn't even think about it before. So for him, like divorce isn't on the table. He's like, you're my partner. You are the person I chose. He doesn't even mention our daughter, like you, I'm not going anywhere. And me on the other hand is the one that's like, can I do this for 50 years? Who can do this for? I can't even do it for another hour. Like what is going to happen? And then I go down this rabbit hole, you know, like, I don't want my daughter to see like an unhappy, whatever, like I must go crazy. And I'm sure some of this is like still like postpartum, like you don't get quite right, you know, right away. And it's all the stress of it. And like the not sleeping for a billion years. 
So yeah, he is that foundation. And that's probably why I'm quite attracted to him on like a, a soul level where we're connected that way, where I find that stability. And I just must forget that's there. That's a super good point to just think like, this isn't an option. And how does that change the energy in the room? Exactly. It shifts it immediately. And I'm not saying it's overnight, but if an argument is an hour, you can make it 20. And then anything that's 20, you could boil it down to 10. You can just get better at it. You're just pushing the edges a little bit and you're future tripping. I love the fact that when you went away, everything came back. The couples that need to worry are the ones that go away, and it still is rough. <laughs> you know, just because you get away for a weekend doesn't mean all of a sudden, like, sex is great and communication is awesome. That means when the child is 18, things are going to be rad. <laughs> you guys are going to be awesome. Yeah. I just think you guys have to realize that, you know, you said you're not even on the same page, so maybe we should talk about what specific things you're not on the same page about. You said you're not even in the same library. So what does that mean? Yeah, I think a lot of it for me revolves around our daughter not feeling we're on the same page. and Like parenting skills? Parenting skills, but also like, I just feel, and this might be a mom thing. I just feel this enormous amount of just, there's no space inside me for me. Everything is for her and then for like what I can bring to the household, I'm the breadwinner in our family. So there's the, I don't want to say pressure, but there is the added, like, it's my job in addition to nursing my daughter and being a mom to be the household as much as I need to be. And so there's just no space. I'm automatically always like on top of whatever it is with Harper. I'm on top of whatever it is with getting the house where it needs to be. I'm on top of everything else. And what's he doing? I don't feel like he's on top of anything that I'm on top of. Does he work? He does. He does. So my husband's work is busy about six months of the year. And then six months of the year is pretty easy. And we're entering the six months where it's easy. So it's going to be easier for him to take more of a parenting role because he's not as busy. And when he is busy, it's like he doesn't get up from his computer chair for about 10 hours. So it's like actually busy. So you clearly madly love him, right? Like he's your guy. Desperately. I told my friends after the first weekend, I said, this is the man I'm going to marry. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we're going to get married one day. Yeah. So what's happening is like, this is why people deal with generational trauma and such. And I don't think people understand just what divorce does to kids later on in life. Everybody's worried like, oh, I don't want to get a divorce because it's going to hurt my kid. It impacts marriages because you are so triggered by that. But I love that you guys love each other so much. And so therefore, this is an easy solve. You know, marriage therapy is, is amazing. But as long as you go to somebody that's literally like a communication expert, you don't need to find the love again. You have a communication problem and you have a time issue and you have a new child. So it's not her. It's just that there's so much pulling at you now. Like you're the primary breadwinner. You've got no space. You're taking care of the house, your daughter, him, your work. You need to sit down and literally just get super pragmatic and practical right now with what do I need? How do I get it? And then he has to do the same. What do I need and how do I get it? Because you're both warring with, well, I need and I need, and you're pulling and pushing at each other. This isn't a marital issue. This is a, we need to organize our time and we need to organize our communication. Your marriage is great. Your baby is beautiful. You're blaming the wrong things. Okay. How do you engage that conversation? Like, I can see it getting, not heated, but I can see it turning into this, like, you're not hearing me. This is a need. I just told you. You say, listen, honey, 
This is going to sound a little weird, but there's this actress. Do you remember those scary movie franchises? Anyway, I talked to her and her qualified co-host, April, said that we need to really start to have a dialogue about our needs because I love you. And the actress said that this time will pass. You know, I think a lot of couples get involved in conversation too soon without doing the work themselves first. And this is what I'm saying. Like, you need to sit in the quiet, maybe as we wrap today, and just sit in the quiet with what are the things, you said the word space, like there's no space for me. So you're feeling like you're getting lost in this a little bit, but you're not lost. You're needed. That's all. And so if you sit down and go, okay, what are the things that could really help me feel space again? And be practical about it. It could be, I need 30 minutes at this time, or I need help with the dishes, or I whatever that is, um, write that stuff down. And then, like Anna said, when you come from, hey, there is no out for us, this is it, you're mine, I'm yours, like we're a family, then everything you do and say is done with love. Like, I love you so much, and here's what's happening for me that I would love to receive from you. If you could help me with that. When you tell a man, if you could help me with this, you ignite his masculinity of like protector, provider, like I want to do for you. I want to do for the woman I love more than anything in this world. But you got to start there. Otherwise, you're just complaining at each other because you're both met with new need. Your relationship wasn't accustomed to another human being in your life. And you're trying to communicate and have the space, air, and time and love and sex that you had pre-her, pre-pandemic, pre-everybody working from home, and you guys didn't update anything. You just assumed you would flow into this. That's all. There's just an update. Okay. And if you can say that and then say, as soon as I'm done giving you my three things, give them three, no more. Don't go, and then, ah, right? Because he loves you so much that when I think when our guys see us in any kind of chaos and pain, they don't necessarily go into the, let me nurture you. They go into fight or flight, right? They don't want to see us, especially they, you know, if they've married a strong, smart, successful woman, they don't want to see you breaking down. So <laughs> he's counting on you to be succinct and calm and loving and then say, here are three things that would really help me. Can we try those for a week? And then say, I would love to hear from you what it is that you need and how can I help you and support you during this time too? Because he's probably feeling like he's failing you. So just say, I'll give you three, you give me three, and let's see what we can do from there. Then in 90 days, you do another conversation and you just promise each other that in between those 90 days that you put in 100% effort for those three things and you don't fight or talk about those things for 90 days, and then in 90 days, you reassess and go, how did we do? Okay. How was it working for me? What do I love about what you've been doing? How has it helped me? Is there anything that can be improved upon? And do we need a new item for the list? But promise each other that you're not going to tear each other apart and shred each other throughout the day. It's not productive. It's not helpful at all. Also, I think sometimes we forget just basic courtesy. And I don't know if your husband is like this, but I bet he is because most people are. If you're like, honey, thank you, even though you may have asked him to unload the dishwasher. Thank you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like the thanking, he'll respond to that. He'll be into that, I think, because everybody is. That's great. No, that's great. I mean, the language that you're giving me is helpful. We forget 
Yeah, you do. It's like a brainwash as soon as you have a kid, like everything. Yeah. Well, you guys have so much need that you're both blaming each other that you don't have what you had. And you've forgotten about the fact that you're actually really good friends, the two of you. Yeah. And you'll feel more supported when he feels more supported. And unfortunately, Emily, I think as women, usually we're in that position of being really extending the olive branch sometimes, but the rewards are huge. And like during quarantine, I think my fiance and I, we never really spoke to each other with any degree of passive aggressiveness, but you know, everybody else in my life, we're all getting like irritated. And you have already have this undercurrent of resentment because your life circumstances have changed so much. Right. So if you can extend, I guess, like the gentle touches, the hand squeeze, like the shoulder rub, he'll feel really loved. And that can only be beneficial to you too. Also, too, I really loved this conversation. Me too. Because, you know, a lot of women don't talk about this. No. And when we started, it was, is she this beautiful, gorgeous soul that you've brought into this world? You know, is she wrecking my marriage? What she is, is she is the soul and the being that is in your marriage to make you guys really challenge yourselves and up level and start something that's kind of new for the growth. It is your own personal growth that is happening right now. And in effect, the growth of your marriage. And that is something to be really grateful for because that's what our relationships and family is all about on this beautiful thing we call earth and life. It's growth and that's what's happening. So just embrace it instead of fighting against it. Yeah. A personal challenge, Emily, would be to like touch him five times a day, just in passing as you walk past him, like, you know, just put your hand on his back or whatever. And the big challenge will be if you can do a physical touch when you're pretty annoyed with him. (laughs) Like, can you do it? So Emily, that's my challenge for you. (laughs) I can do that. I will take the challenge. I appreciate it. This is really helpful just to be able to hear other people. I feel like we've been on an island for so long. Oh my God. It's so nice for me too, Emily. But I'm really happy for you. And I cannot thank you enough for talking about this with us. Thank you. It was healing for me. I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been really great. And April, thank you so much for the language. It's so helpful to hear, you know, you don't think about it. Yeah, you're so welcome. I really appreciate it. And I love this podcast. It has been so great to hear everyone else's problems all the time. You know, you're flawed in your own ways, but then hear other people. And it's just like, oh, we're not alone. It's not crazy. (laughs) I know. I feel like that's the biggest thing that I love about speaking to people is truly like you're not alone. Yeah. And I think that most people find a lot of comfort in the idea that people can get out of it, you know? Anyway, Emily, I'm really happy for you. Thank you. This is fantastic. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, everyone. Oh, you're so welcome. So much love, Emily. Bye, everyone. Bye, Emily. Bye, Emily. Bye, Emily. 